Good morning, everybody. My name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors here. If it's your first time, we welcome you. Thanks so much for choosing to be a part of our church today. And uh, we are in the middle of a message series entitled Do Over. And I know a lot of us, uh, we kind of felt that way when the calendar turned and we said, you know what, we'd like a do over for 2021. But you know, I've talked to a few individuals and um, it's, it's ironic that for some individuals, 2020, while being one of the most um, physical years uh, of difficulty, Spiritually, many individuals um, would say, you know, I needed 2020. I needed it in my life. It, it, it called me to greater dependence upon God. For some of you who might not be a follower of Jesus, you might say, you know, Terry, that's the reason why I'm here is because 2020 um, was so out of the blue that I, the world is so upside down that I, it caused me to think of faith again. And it caused me to think about uh, maybe there is a God and maybe there is this person called Jesus and maybe he just was the son of God. Well, if you're here, no matter what reason you're here, whether you're a Christian or not, um, we're talking specifically of how, how we can have a do-over for 2021, how we can have a better life spiritually, how we can have a better life financially, how we can have a better life in our health, and what choices we need to make to make 2021 even better. We've said there's three different ways. There's our upward relationship with Jesus Christ. We said there last week, we talked about we need inwardly to make sure that we have community, that we're pouring into others and they're pouring into us. And today, we're going to focus on our outward perspective as what it means to be an amazing follower of Jesus or even better, a disciple. And so up, in, and out are the three ways that we have been talking about. With that being said, my dad passed away a few years ago in, in our church. They know this. And my dad is a Marine. And uh, I remember gathering together for his uh, funeral service. And it was wonderful being around the table with uh, family members, talking about stories and, um, and laughing about some, crying at others. Uh, and we had the funeral service. And then we went to the graveside service. And it was at a, a military cemetery. And uh, my dad obviously was there. And, and you might not know this, but several years ago, Congress passed a law that basically said um, that at every deceased U.S. veterans memorial service, there are to be two military personnel there at every funeral. And what they said is one serviceman or servicewoman would present a, an American flag to the widow or to the family member of the person who is deceased. And so at my dad's um, funeral, they had a person that was there who gave that flag to my stepmom. But there is a second individual that is also there, and, and I think we have a picture of it, that is also to play the song's taps on a bugle. And so it was, it was an amazing um, step of Congress to be able to make, and it makes those memorial services that much more meaningful for those family members of those who have died, especially those who have um, uh, served so faithfully in the military. However, it also created a problem. Because if you really think about it, all of a sudden, all the funeral directors around the country, they panicked. Because at every serviceman's funeral, there has to be a bugle player. And they realized there's not a lot of bugle players in America. So they had a problem because they wanted to fulfill that, that edict by Congress, but they were struggling to do so. And so at my dad's funeral, I remember thinking, oh, I'm, we were so blessed to have a bugle player. But then I started thinking. The bugle player, when all of a sudden it was his time to play taps, I remember thinking it was one of the most beautiful renditions I'd ever heard. That guy is good. But then I also remember that right before he started playing, he, he stood off at a distance and then he turned his shoulder. And do you know if you research, the reason why many bugle players do that is because they're really actually not playing the bugle at all. Do you know that they make something called, it's an instrument called a ceremonial bugle player. 
and it has a CD-type player that fits inside of the bugle. And so the bu many servicemen now stand at military funerals, and they actually don't play the song. They actually hit a button, and they wait five seconds, and the play begins. And I remember that bugle player, he looked amazing. Yeah, that's because he wasn't playing. But, you know, it reminds me of something in Christianity. I think we learned that lesson because I think there are a lot of Christians who proclaim to be a follower of Jesus. But the truth is, if we authentically looked at our lives and the way that we act and the way that we live, it's a shadow of what the authentic version of a Christian should be. And so today, we're going to talk about that. Let me kind of set this up. We're going to go to a passage of Scripture, and we're going to talk about a man named Matthew. Last week, we actually foreshadowed this. Matthew was a tax collector in the, the town of Capernaum. The town of Capernaum is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And so Matthew is sitting there at his tax collector's book. By the way, many of us, we envision Matthew at this little, you ever see Snoopy and Peanuts and you see the doctor is in? We kind of imagine Matthew sitting at that kind of booth. You know, the tax collector's here just, and he has a can. Give me your, you know, give me your taxes. But that wasn't actually what it was. Did you know that Matthew was one of the top tax collectors in the region? Because the town of Capernaum, they had a lot of goods that, was, that were traded in and out of that area. So we're going to pick up the story in the New Testament. And so let's take a look at the life of Matthew. We can go to the scripture. Here we go. In Matthew 9, 9, it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's book. Now, just so you know in this as well, as Matthew is there, they levied taxes on all the goods going through the Sea of Galilee and trading into the city. Tax collectors were despised for a couple reasons. You know this if you've been a part of our church. They were despised because they were considered traitors to the Jewish people. And the reason why is, is because they made a deal with Rome. You see, what happens is, is Rome collected the taxes, but they also had to have people in all the regions to collect the taxes. So they would take the local tax collector and they would give them a cut of the taxes just to make sure that they followed Rome's orders. So, tax, so Matthew, a tax collector, he was one of the top tax collectors because he was trusted with a lot of resources and finances, but he was also one of the most despised in the region because he took so much from the Jewish people. So in that verse, it continues and it says this. Jesus says, follow me, Matthew, and be my disciple. Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and he followed him. Now, when we read that scripture, and many of us have read that story before, we read with today's sensibilities. Isn't that true? Of course, Matthew, you're going to get up and follow Jesus. I mean, he's Jesus. He's incredible. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. I mean, if I was sitting there, Matthew, and Jesus said, with his beautiful, long, blonde hair and his blue eyes... No, that wasn't it, just so you know. But perfect Jesus, little baby Jesus in the manger who was so perfect and everything else. Yes, that Jesus. Jesus looked at me, and if he would have said, come follow me, of course I would have given up everything and followed him. But that's not how it was. Matthew would have been sitting there, and he would have heard of Jesus. You know, I hear there is this guy who claims to be the son of God, and, and I hear that he's doing miracles. I mean, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, think about it. If someone came up here today and said, hey, Terry, there's a guy down in Merle's Inlet and he's healing people. And if that guy came and said, I want you to give up everything and follow me. I don't know if I would do it. I'm just saying. So for Matthew to get up, Matthew, he trusted Jesus. He believed in Jesus. And he got up and he followed him. 
If you're taking notes, as we talk about what it means to follow the example of Matthew and to become a disciple, there are some certain steps that Matthew took. And so taking notes, here's the first thing. Number one, there is always a cost to becoming a disciple. Matthew gave up his career, he gave up his status, and he gave up pretty much everything. Matthew, I'm sure, feared for his life because Matthew knew where the money went to. He had a lot of internal secrets with Rome. And so could you imagine all of a sudden word gets to the Romans and to the leadership and they say, hey, Matthew, our tax collector in Capernaum, he quits. He gave up. He, he's, he's not doing it anymore. Well, I'm sure Matthew every night wondered if they were going to come after him and take his life. But Matthew didn't care because Jesus Christ was the son of God in his eyes and he believed in him. And when he accepted Jesus as the son of God, don't miss this, he understood there's a cost and I'm going to lay down these things of my life to follow the son of God. There is always a cost to becoming a disciple. I think part of the problem that we have in Christianity is, is that there is a big difference between knowing Jesus and following Jesus. There's a difference between knowing him and following him. The devil knows who Jesus is. And so just because we say that we're a Christian and just because we sit there and we take steps doesn't necessarily make us a disciple of Jesus. The truth is, if there is no cost to your faith, then how much faith do you really have? I want you to think about that right now. In your life, is there a cost to your faith? And if you're living really comfortably right now, then I would tell you, you might be a Christian, but you might not truly be an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ. Right after Matthew gets up and he follows Jesus, I want you to watch Matthew's action step. Take a look at this, continuing on. Matthew 9, 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now, we go there and we say, oh, it was nice. He invited him over for dinner. But remind, I want to remind you of something. Jesus is the son of God. Now, if I'm Matthew, I'm looking at Jesus. I'm okay. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be a little bit of a distance. I mean, I'm despised by the community. And so I'm just going to hang back. The disciples are looking at me and they don't trust me. And so I'm just going to hang back here and I'm going to watch Jesus. I mean, Jesus walks like this. He's got a little bit of an open gate. So I'm going to just try and do that. He's got a little bit of a limp. That's a lie. Jesus was perfect. No limp there. So he's walking. It was a joke, people. Lighten up. Come on, let's go. So Jesus is walking, and Matthew is following him. But notice what Matthew does. He takes initiative, and he says, Jesus, since I'm now a follower of yours, I want to invite you, and I want you to invite other Christians and other disciples over to my house. And I'm going to invite my despised friends who are not following you and don't believe in you, and they're doing the wrong things. And I'm going to invite them to come to this dinner, and I want you to be able to share who you are to them so that they might become followers of Jesus. Don't miss this. Matthew leveraged his relationships with his friends to connect them with who Jesus was. Matthew understood what it meant to be a disciple. And Matthew took initiative. When was the last time you drove up on a Sunday and said, Lord, who am I going to church for? When was the last time you entered into a worship service? Maybe you're at home. When was the last time you thought of your worship experience, not just for what you could receive, but what you as the body of Christ could give to someone else? 
There is so many times, those of us that are ministers, and we see it clear as day, that we come in here and we pray, God, use me in a mighty way. And what happens is, is we leave Sunday with amazing stories because God surprises us by connecting us in a hallway with someone who is in tears and has a family emergency. And God says, the biggest thing that this individual needs now is you to pray for them and to connect them with me because they're struggling. Sometimes it's someone who celebrates a life victory. And so who's an individual that you see joy in their heart and say, you look amazing today. What's going on in your life? But so often we don't take that initiative as a disciple. We just think it's all about us. Rick Warren wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. The greatest chapter and the greatest words to lead a chapter is, it's not about me. And so when you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you understand that you have to take initiative and say, God, what would you have of me today? And who am I going to church for? Here's a second note that I want you to take, and it's this. Disciples need more drama and not less. Terry, I don't understand this. We've been trying to get drama out of the church for a whole long time. I was down the hall just a few minutes ago. Let me tell you, there was drama. No, do you know what? We need more drama in the church. Now, do you know where the word drama actually comes from? It doesn't come from Hollywood. Do you know that actually the word drama actually comes and is associated with the beginnings of the church? True story. The Greek word drama means this, to do. It means to do. So that's where dramatization comes from. Individuals who want to tell a story, they dramatize the story on stage so that you can picture it. Do you want to know why we have that today? It's because the early church ran into a problem. Don't miss this. The early church wanted to tell people about Jesus and how to be a disciple of Jesus. But they had a major issue back then. Most of the people were uneducated. Most of the people could not read and could not write. And so how do you take the scriptures that are so amazing and filled by God and explain them to individuals who are uneducated? And so the clergy members of the day, they struggled with it. And they said, how can we help our brothers and sisters understand Jesus? We need to dramatize the gospel. We need to act out the miracles of God so that they can understand that Jesus came to heal. You see, the truth is they understood that the gospel is mysterious. It's supernatural. And actually, do you know where the, the word mystery comes from? It actually comes from the word minister. And the reason why is the ministers of that day wanted to clearly communicate the mystery of the gospel. And so that's where the term mystery comes from. It comes from the minister. So Pastor Terry is mysterious. Actually, it goes on further than this. Those of you that might have grown up in a liturgical church, maybe a Methodist church or maybe a Catholic church, you've heard the term sacraments. Well, do you know where the sacraments come from? It comes from the foundation of drama and it comes from the foundation of mystery of gospel because what they decided was the only way for us to teach the people in the medieval times who are uneducated is for us to create steps, pictures, for them to follow so that they can become a disciple of Jesus. And so many of you who grew up in liturgical churches, you might have practiced the step of confirmation or the step of baptism or the step of communion. Here's the problem that we have in today's day and age and in some of our religions. And if you come from a liturgical background, you're no, going to know what I'm talking about. Too often, though, we have fallen in love and celebrated the steps and not the heart behind the steps. We've turned the steps into an action, into something to be able to say, check that off my list. 
But Jesus didn't come for us to celebrate steps. Jesus came for us to be a disciple of his and to be authentic in our lives and in our hearts. And so I would say this, God invites us to the drama of salvation. Well, Terry, what do you mean? God invites us to the drama of salvation. Here's the truth. God didn't just say, I love you. God loves. There is a difference. He loves us to this day. Don't miss this. In our humanness, when we feel good about someone, when we feel connected in chemistry, in in a physical attraction, when everything is great and we look at our spouse and say, Pookie Bear, I love you. And we feel that. And in that moment, I loved you. And we sometimes think of God in that fashion that when we're doing good things or acting the right way, that God looks at us and says, I love you. But that's not God. God loves drama to do action. He every day loves, which means this. Those of you who walked in this room and maybe it's your first time in church or you're watching online and you did something despicable yesterday but your heart is broken and you're here today and you're crying out to a God, here's the great thing you need to know. God doesn't just look at you and because maybe he looks and he has pity on you, he says, I love you. God loved you yesterday even despite your despicable act. That's the God we serve. That's the drama of God. Disciples of Jesus lead lives of drama because they do their Faith. I've got a 13-year-old at home, and here's the truth. There are times that I might call him something like a drama queen. We tell our kids not to be drama queens, but Jesus called his disciples to be drama disciples. To be a drama disciple is to be a verb and not merely a noun. Now, the reason why I know this and the reason why I think that Jesus knew we'd struggle with this is because of something that he said, and, and I think we've missed the context of it. Jesus, in one of his famous sayings and teachings, he looked at the people around them to tell them what it means to be a disciple. And I want you to focus and key in on exactly what he actually said. Take a look at this. This comes from the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6. He says, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. In other words, what Jesus actually says is, you want to know what it means to be a disciple? Then you need to follow the way that I've given you. If you want to experience my truth and you want to experience unending and eternal life, you better follow the way that I have shown you. Drama to do. Do you know this, what the early church was actually called back then? You weren't called a follower of Jesus. Do you know what you were called? You were called a follower of the way. And so individuals, it was a reminder of what it meant to be a disciple in Christ. Not just to say, I'm a Christian, but to actually follow in the footsteps of Jesus. There's a third principle of being a disciple, and it's this. Disciples live a life of expectancy and not expectation. They live a life of expectancy and not expectation. How many of you have an Aunt Trudy that every time you call her and say, Aunt Trudy, how are you doing today? Oh, I am blessed to be alive today. 
I got up this morning, so how could I be mad? God is so good, and it's amazing. The day is bursting forth. The sun might not be shining. It might be raining, but God gave the water for the grass and for the plants. Isn't God good? And all of us, we listen to Aunt Trudy, and we smile with one side of our mouth, and the other side of our mouth says, oh, come on, Trudy. But do you know what Trudy understands? Trudy understands the reality of the day. Because isn't it true that for those of us that are followers of the way, we know that Jesus already fought the fight and won the battle. Jesus already knows yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Jesus knows what's going to happen to me tomorrow. And the truth is I exist today not for myself but for him. I have and I love my family and I love my life and I love what I do. But if I stand back and look at everything in context, I understand that I exist today to glorify God. And one of these days, I'm no longer going to be here. It could be tomorrow, and it could be 50 years from now. I don't know. He knows. I don't. But my job every day is to realize he died on the cross, and he took my sin upon that cross. And so today, I can celebrate Jesus, because no matter what I face, even as bad as 2020 is, I will worship and celebrate my God, because he's awesome. He is. But how many of us have gotten up in the morning, instead of looking at that context, we look at our meeting schedule. We look at the person that we have to meet. We dread something that happens on our calendar. And so all of a sudden, because of the expectations of the day, we're miserable. So we trade in our expectancy of where we're going to the expectations of life, and we become miserable. The body of Christ depends upon our drama, activity, and participation in order to remain alive and influential. It's about doing every day, following in the footsteps of Jesus, remembering what he did for me so that we can be influential in our life. So Terry, how can I be a drama disciple? Here are three ways. Let me give it to you. Number one, a drama disciple has a handful of people whom they're influencing for the better. If you would just do this one thing, if you would just start going to church and say, God, who am I going to church for? If you would, in your neighborhood, say, God, I want you to show me one neighbor today that you want me to invest in their life. God, I want you to show me one family member that I need to start praying for and I need to start pouring into. Those of you in the wiser generation, there are grandkids, grandnephews, nephews, nieces. There is someone that you can pour in for the better. There's a neighbor's child. There's a single parent's son. There is somebody out there that you could be influential and you can change the course of their life if you just make the margin in your life to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Number two, a drama disciple is known for what they do for Christ rather than what they do for themselves. My prayer for my life, which, trust me, I struggle with this every day because we make it all about us. God, at the end of the day, I want to be known not for Terry, but I want to be known as Terry who follows Jesus. And number three, a drama disciple prioritizes expectancy over expectation. Here's the truth. It's time to stop caring about the appearance of Christianity and start caring about reality and truth. Don't miss this. It's time to start acting out our faith. In other words, it's time to learn to play our own instrument, our own bugle, no matter what it sounds like. I think there are many of us in this room who are faking it till we make it. 
because we're afraid if people actually saw our authentic heart and actually saw how much we actually knew about the Bible or actually saw how we thought and how we actually followed Jesus, that we would be embarrassed. So we fake it. We play a recording of Christianity, hoping that others say, oh, isn't he wonderful? Isn't he great? But let me ask you something. That is living to expectations of humanity. That is not living a life of expectancy for the end of time when we can be in glory with Jesus Christ. Why are we faking it when the truth is, is that we should stand with confidence because God loves. He doesn't just love me when I do something right. Even in my worst moment, he loves. And so why don't I show others what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's time to be a disciple. It's time to follow the actual way. Would you pray with me? God, right now, I just pause in this room and for my brothers and sisters at home, for those in this room that might not be a follower of Jesus, um, God, I pray that if they didn't understand anything that we talked about today, that they would understand one thing, is that you love, that you don't just love in a moment, that you don't just love certain people, but that you love your creation. You love us at our worst. You love us at our best. You forgive us if all we do is just turn to you and we show our authentic heart. So God, right now, I pray for every man, for every woman, for every child, for every teenager. I ask God that we would stop pretending to be a Christian and we would actually follow the way, unapologetically, unabashedly. If you're in this room or watching online, maybe you've never taken a step like Matthew. Maybe you've never invited Jesus into your heart because you've been afraid of what it would cost you. You're afraid of what might happen next. Well, I would tell you, you don't need to know everything about the Bible. You don't need to know everything about Christianity. You just need to be obedient to what Christ calls you to. And if he is calling you, your answer needs to be, yes, Jesus, because he will give you a future. So today, if that's you and if you've never given your life to Christ, I want to encourage you and I want to pray this prayer and I want to invite you to pray this as well. And it goes like this, dear Jesus, God, forgive me for faking it. God, forgive me for pretending or trying to be a Christian when the truth is you know my heart. And so God, today I'm driving a stake home. Today I'm telling that I believe in the son of God who died on a cross who doesn't just love in a moment, but loves me as I am. And so because of that, I say, God, here, here am I. I open my heart and I ask you to come in and to change my life. And so God, right now, I thank you that you forgive my sin and that today, because I've trusted you, I will live life in eternity. And that changes me from expectation to expectancy. So God, thank you so much. I tell you, I love you. And I give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.